Well, let's continue to worship as we give. Um, meanwhile, let me make just a few preliminary comments. And that... Yes. That's right, yeah. Sorry, sir. Well, that's okay. No problem. Thanks. Yeah, if you have your Bibles, uh, you may want to turn to Mark chapter 4. And uh, today we're going to look at Mark 4, 1 through 20, parable of the sower. And then, God willing, at least for those of us who are on time next week, and hopefully that'll be me, we'll be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 6. I think it's 25 through 34. Let me double check on that. Uh, but the reason I'm bringing that up, you may want to read ahead this week. Yeah, it's uh, Matthew 6, verse 25 through 34. That'll be next Sunday, God willing. And uh, it's interesting because as I happen to glance up here, I notice, where is it? There was a little bird right there staring at me. And he looks pretty calm. He doesn't look too nervous. And as I looked at that bird, I thought, you know, birds are going to be featured in this text. And they're going to be featured next week. So that's why I want you to check it out. There's going to be birds also in Matthew 6, whatever that's worth, all right? So uh, anyway, uh, let me take a moment here. If you're still giving, please do so. Uh, and let's speak to our great God in prayer. And then we're going to dig into this text. Shall we pray? Lord God, thanks for breathing out this portion of Scripture. We believe it wholeheartedly. Every word here is true. In fact, from Genesis to Revelation, every word recorded is true. And we can lean over 100% with all that we have, lean our lives on your word, because behind it is your character. And so, Lord, I pray that as we now attempt to worship you through listening, hearing, heeding, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us a heart inclined toward obedience, and that you would bear much fruit in our lives, that we may bring great glory and magnification to your name, that we may be a blessing to other people, and then, Lord, that this might even um, become something that causes us to grow further in our walk with you. So be glorified during these moments. Assist us now, Holy Spirit, we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, and all my brothers and sisters said, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Mark chapter 4, if you're not there, please turn. Uh, there was a visiting professor at a prominent seminary in the U.S., and he told a story about preaching in a developing country, and he really preached his heart out, and when he finished, hundreds of listeners responded by publicly expressing their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a praise the Lord moment. What I find fascinating is uh, only months later, he preached the same sermon right here in the United States. Same sermon, same text, same notes. And not only did no one respond to his invitation, but also the listeners looked visibly bored with the word of God. And so when I think of those two scenarios juxtaposed, in my mind, I'm asking the question, what is it that makes the difference? Why do some hearers respond positively to God's word while others do not? Same text, same sermon, same preacher, two totally different responses. What makes up the difference there? How would you answer that question? And the reason why I'm asking is because not only does God want us to have an answer to that question, to know how to answer it, 
but he also requires that we act upon that knowledge. And so I'll ask the question again, and that is, why do some hearers respond positively to God's word, while others do not? Well, I want to invite you to come on a journey with me back to the first century, and we're going to sit right by the Sea of Galilee, right at the seaside, to hear God's Son answer that question. He's going to do it with a particular vehicle of communication. It's called a parable. And this is a very strategic parable, as you'll see once we get into the text. So I invite you to look. If you're not there, please turn. Uh, look at Matthew, or I should say Mark chapter 4 and verse 1. Mark says this in verse 1. Jesus began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. Now, Jesus often taught on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, if you were to look at chapter 2, verse 13, you'll see it mentioned there. He was in the habit of speaking by the sea right here because it's a public setting, but also I think it has something to do with the acoustics. Because when he gets on a boat, as you'll see in a moment, in fact, look at uh, verse 2. It says, he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching. Now, notice what happens here. He's trying to get their attention, but he's crowded. I mean, probably his back is to the shoreline. A lot of people, he was very popular at this point, by the way, in his ministry. So there were large crowds. So he decides to get in a boat, which is anchored just a little offshore there. And he sits down, assuming the position of a rabbi. Usually a rabbi would sit down and then expound the word of God. And now he's trying to get their attention. And his voice is bouncing off the water and probably echoing with those surrounding hills. They're sitting up on the hills, the audience. So it's probably a very uh, good place to preach acoustically. That may be one reason why he is often there. Of course, the crowds are following him. And we do know that some are looking for a filet of fish meal, apparently because he was known to multiply bread and fish. But many were there because they were eager to hear God's word. And so that's why it says he's teaching them, and it wants to point out here that he's doing this in a unique way, in verse 2, in parables. So what are these all about? Well, notice what he says there, verse 3. Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing some seed, fell beside the road, and the birds came, and they ate it up. Hmm. Interesting. Now, he's teaching them many things, it says. What are those things? Well, many things about the kingdom of God. If you want it for your notes, we won't take time. But in chapter 4, verse 11, verse 26, verse 30, 4, 11, 26, 30, there you'll see a reference to the kingdom of God. This is what he is primarily teaching about. Notice how he's doing it. It says, in parables. Uh, the Greek word is parabole. It means to throw alongside or to place alongside. And so with this particular technique, Jesus would take a spiritual truth, in this case, the kingdom of God, and that's sort of a hard one to comprehend, right? So he's going to put some flesh on it, and he's going to take some real-life experiences, things that we can all relate to, things certainly that they can relate to, in an agricultural setting in the first century. And put those two together so you can see the parallels, right? That's one of the purposes, is to make a truth clear. But there's a couple other purposes we'll talk about as we go along. So here he is trying to apply the truth and challenging them, the hearers, to think deeply. 
And I believe the Lord through this text this morning is challenging you and me to think deeply. Notice that implies that we need to be active. This is not a time to kick back and put our feet up, not so much because of the preacher, but because God is speaking to us through his word. And he's trying to get their attention. You see it in the words there. Listen to this. These are imperatives. Behold, these are commands. Listen and look. He's trying to arouse the hearer's attention. And so why do some hearers respond positively to God's word while others simply do not? That's what we're going to explore. And you're going to have to exercise one of the fruit of the Spirit here, love, joy, peace, and patience, because it's going to take a while to get there. I'm only doing what Jesus is doing in the text, and that is he's withholding the answer because he wants to take them on a journey and get them to think, all right? So please be patient and hang in there with me. I know I look like a madman, but there is a method to my madness. So just hang in there just a little bit longer, all right? So here's what he gets their attention. He says, behold, the sower went out to sow. Now, perhaps he pointed to a sower who was up in the hills there because that was a common sight. And they're casting seed on their basically small little fields. And they would toss seed in the air, and, and often, sometimes, the breeze would carry the seed a little bit beyond its intended target, and it would land a little bit past. In this case, in this scenario, and we're going to look at a number of scenarios here, it says, some seed fell beside the road. One translation puts it, along the footpath. Luke adds, parallel text, Luke 8, and I think Matthew 13 is the other. They all have this particular parable. Luke adds this, and it was trampled underfoot. Now, some of these fields were separated by a well-worn footpath. People would cut through, and there was high traffic. In fact, some of the seed went on the wayside, meaning the side of the path, but apparently large crowds. You've been in this, right, where you're walking on a path, and maybe three people are together. Instead of walking single file, they're talking to each other while they're taking up the whole path. Could be annoying if you're a bicyclist, right? You've got to beep your horn or do something, right? But the point is there's some on the side and even large crowds would trample it down because it was heavy traffic area. And of course, the dirt is tamped down pretty good. And so this is a case where the seed is on this hard soil. It's not going to go anywhere. It stays on the surface. The birds see that. Hello, here's this bird right here. Imagine another couple hundred. Nice little fellow. Anyway, this bird would see that and go right down and treat it like one of those bird feeders and have a nice meal, right? Because there's seed. Of course, the seed's not going to bear any fruit because it doesn't have a chance to take root. And so why do some hearers respond positively to God's word while others do not? Well, Jesus is answering that question as he takes us through this parable of the sower. Incidentally, some call this the parable of the soils because the emphasis is more on the soil and the nature of it more so than on the sower. But nevertheless, Jesus calls this the parable of the sower, so that's what I'm going with, all right? So notice what happens then in verse 5. Jesus is a master teacher. Another scenario now. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root it withered away. Now, one scholar describes this particular terrain. He says, in parts of Galilee, there was a layer of limestone and shale a few inches beneath the surface. And so if you can picture um, just a couple inches 
of soil on the top, topsoil, that underneath is just solid bedrock, right? And so the root has nowhere to go but up. So instead of planting a root, it has to go up and plant a sprout. And to the eye, it looks great. You want to say, praise the Lord. This, we're going to get some crop here, right? But because it's shallow, it says it had no root. It withered away. Luke adds, because it had no moisture. So it had no root because of the rock layer underneath. And it had no moisture because it had no root. The root is what retains the moisture. And so when that hot sun in the Middle East comes out, it just burns up and that's the end. That's all there is to it. So why do some hearers respond positively to God's word while others do not? Well, this is what he's answering, so stay with me, please. And look now at verse 7, another scenario. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. So we have two scenarios there. This one in verse 7 is not good. Uh, likely this seed landed in a section that had uh, weed seeds, if I can put it that way, but also a weed network. Have you noticed that you don't have to do much with weeds? They thrive. Don't have to water them. Don't even have to worry about them. They're hard to get rid of, in fact. They're tenacious. And so they overwhelm these little springlings, these little shoots, and they choke it out. And again, Luke adds, because it had no moisture, so there's no root because of um, these weeds crowding out and sucking out all the moisture. And so again, bad scenario, no fruit, right? And anybody who's throwing seed is hoping to get a crop. That's what it's all about. But with that scenario in verse 8, we have something positive there. In fact, look at verse 9. It says, Jesus was saying, and this is really what it's all about, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so the Galilee region was renowned for its extremely fertile soil, and this seed apparently fell on good soil. And the, the way it's described there is beyond anything that a typical farmer in that area would see. It says it produced 30, see it, in verse 8, and 60, and a hundredfold. Now that is really good yield. And that is an extreme contrast to the other three scenarios that didn't produce anything, right? So it's really a sharp contrast. Three that produce nothing, and then one that's like, wow, this is record bumper crop here. And so verse 9, don't miss it, let him hear. Remember we saw in verse 3, listen to this. In fact, go to verse 23, chapter 4, verse 23. You'll see it again. This is really the emphasis. If anyone has ears to hear, my paraphrase, get the wax out, let him hear. That's the idea. And so he's trying to get their attention, and he wants them to be engaged listeners. And the whole idea here is that he wants them to penetrate the meaning of the parable, not just to understand, but then to respond with obedience. In other words, to bear fruit. So there's an analogy going on here. Listen intently and live out my kingdom teaching. He who has ears to hear, well, and who does have ears to hear and who does not? We're back to the question again. Why do some hearers respond positively to God's word while others do not? Well, you've been exercising the fruit of the Spirit. You've been very patient. 
And so the answer is coming real soon, but hang in there just a little bit more, all right? Look at verse 10. As soon as Jesus was alone out of the public, his followers, along with the 12, began asking him about the parables. Matthew 13 adds, Then he left the multitudes and went into the house. So shortly after teaching from the both, he enters a house, probably somewhere in Capernaum, we think. Can't prove it. And the parable's interpretation would not be given to the multitudes, but only to Jesus' followers. Isn't that interesting? He's going to give them the answer or the interpretation in private, but not in public. It says they began asking him about the parables. Matthew 13 gives us the actual question they asked. Matthew 13, 10. Why do you speak to them in parables? And so Jesus is going to answer that question now in verses 11 and 12. There's going to be two questions just to give you a heads up. First one is, hey, Jesus, why on earth are you using parables? Second question is going to be, okay, give us the specific interpretation of this, the, the sower parable, the one that he just gave. So here's the answer to the first. Look at verse 11. Jesus was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, they get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing with the physical ear, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. Wow, that's puzzling, right? Verse 11, to you has been given. Who is this group? Well, these are those who have ears to hear. These are the insiders who actually have a heart to listen, to hear, to heed, and actually to obey God's word. We don't have time to look, but write it down in your notes, chapter 4, 33 and 34. There you'll see the same thing. Um, this has something to do with the listener, right? It says in that section I just gave you there that he explained everything privately. So those who have receptive hearts received a private interpretation. Those who did not didn't get the interpretation. He didn't give it. Now, here's the good news, Christian, assuming that Christ is living in you. You have the interpreter, capital I, the Holy Spirit, living in you. So you are well equipped to understand the Word of God. For you, it's not going to be a case of lack of information or lack of equipment. If you don't understand the Word of God, that has something to do with your will and your heart. And this is really where we're going with this. The, the point is going to be very clear in just a moment. Uh, he talks there in verse 11 about the mystery of the kingdom of God. This is new revelation about the messianic kingdom, which will be established yet future to our time. The Lord's coming back, right? And he's going to set up a physical kingdom on this earth. And he's actually going to be on this earth with us. He cares that much about us that he's coming back a second time. And this is really the heart of the parables all lined up in a row here. He's talking about kingdom principles, right? Now, here's the other group, verse 11. But those who are outside, who is this group? These are those with the earplugs, those who do not have ears to hear. These are the outsiders who reject God's word because of a hard heart. Now, we have the Pharisees, and in uh, chapter 3, verse 5, it says that Jesus was grieved at their hardness of heart. These are the religious leaders, and the one who created them is grieved because their hearts are hard. The other group describes, uh, we don't have time again, but in chapter 3, 22, 29, and 30, you'll see it there. They literally blaspheme Jesus. 
So the religious leaders either have a hard heart or they're blasphemers, both not good, right? So that's the point, and they're not going to get an interpretation. It says in verse 11, they get everything in parables. Why? Because each parable was designed to diagnose the heart condition of the hearer. These are genius teaching mechanisms that the master teacher designed to do diagnostics. Verse 12, don't miss it. While hearing, they may hear and not understand. Dear friends, this is God's judgment upon Christ rejectors. The more they harden their heart, and bear in mind, this is a choice they're making. Hey, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about your Jesus. I don't want to hear that stuff. Stop it. I don't want to hear it. That seems to be an option without any consequences, but it's probably the worst decision a human being can make. The very one thing we all need, if we block that out intentionally, by default then, there's a very negative consequence, and we're responsible for that consequence, because again, this is our choice. Now, he's quoting here Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, and my point is, the more somebody hardens their heart, the more they lose that capacity to understand. It diminishes. They're actually harming themselves. They become spiritually insensitive. So in Isaiah 6.10, it says, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and check this out, and understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. <clears throat> you see, at the end of the day, Israel suffered from a heart condition. And so, why do some hearers respond positively to God's word, while others do not? We're ready for the answer. Here it is. Are you ready? There should be a slide appearing back there very shortly. You've been very patient. Hearers respond to God's word according to their heart condition. Hearers respond to God's word according to their heart condition. That's really the bottom line of this parable here. And so what I want to do with you for the rest of our time is consider four responses to God, God's word. There's at least four possible responses as the word of God is teached or preached. And the first response is this, and that is the hard heart rejects God's word. The hard heart rejects God's word. I don't recommend this response, this first one. Look at verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? And here it is. The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. Now Luke 8 adds this, and his disciples began questioning him as to what this parable might be. So this is that second question I, I referred to. In other words, first one is, Jesus, why are you using parables anyway? Second question, could you give us the meaning of this parable of the sower? I'd like to know, what, what is the interpretation here, Jesus? And so Jesus says in verse 13, how will you understand all the parables? You see, this was the first in a series of parables that Jesus gave on that day. And this parable is the key to unlocking all the rest of the parables. Because Jesus is taking the time to reveal how to interpret a parable. If you're wondering how to interpret one, this is the text to look at. So he's saying, if you don't get this one, you're not going to get the rest. The sower sows the word. Now, Luke adds in 8, Luke 8, and this is important. The seed is the word of God. So now we at least know what the seed is. It represents the word of God. Who's the sower? Now, we're not told directly, but 
I think it's Jesus. It's also us when we are evangelizing, right? But the reason I, I think it's Jesus, because in Matthew uh, 13, 37, it's, it's basically a different parable. Um, it's the parable of the wheat and the tares. But there it says, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. So this is probably Jesus, but I would also include us as we represent him and share the word of God. Verse 15, and these are the ones who are beside the road. So the hardened soil of the footpath is a metaphor for the hardened hearts of the religious leaders. The, the word of God is just not going to penetrate because their hearts are beaten down. They're too hard. And there's a danger for them in particular because they are the ones who have the word of God, right? They're so familiar with the word of God that it just goes in one ear and out the other. That's a dangerous place to be, right? Immediately, Satan comes and takes away the word. So by continually hardening their hearts against God's word, they create an opportunity for Satan. And this is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, he says, the God of this world, and that is Satan himself, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. And so because the hard heart refuses to believe, Satan cancels the effect of God's word. See, the hard heart rejects God's word. We don't want that response, right? So what are we learning? We're learning here that hearers respond to God's word according to their heart condition. And we're considering at least four possible responses to the word of God. The first one is not good. The hard heart rejects God's word. Here's the second response, and that is the shallow heart avoids commitment to God's word. The shallow heart avoids commitment to God's word. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And there you want to say, praise the Lord, right? And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. Now, that shallow layer of soil is a metaphor for the shallow hearts of some in the crowd. They're hearing it, but they're not embracing it the way they should. There's a heart problem. And it says they receive it with joy, just like that shallow soil did, and it sprouts up. But then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately, how sad, they fall away. And so they were quick to receive the word and then quick to avoid any possible commitment. When trouble comes, the stuff that we all face, they flounder and they run. Have you seen this? Have you seen somebody who's been excited for three, four, five, six months? And then they disappear, they're gone, and that's the end of their, quote, relationship with Jesus. It's over because some hardship came along or something deterred them. It says they have no firm root in themselves. They're only temporary. Now, what is it that commits a plant to the soil? Farmers, help us out. It begins with an R. It's the root, right? A rootless plant, if you can imagine such a thing, refuses to commit itself to the soil. If you can picture a rootless plant, what happens when a strong wind comes? They're gone, never to be seen again. What keeps them during the storms of life? It's that root, because they went deep in the Word, in God's Word. And so, likewise, the shallow-hearted hearer is seemingly open to God's Word, but avoids a level of commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, the shallow heart 
avoids commitment to God's word. Not a good response. And so the point here really is, hearers respond to God's word according to their heart condition. And these various responses tell on us and reveal our heart condition. And we need to take note of the data. Two responses we don't want. The hard heart rejects God's word. The shallow heart avoids commitment to God's word. Here's a third response. Again, I don't recommend it. And that is the worldly heart crowds out God's word. The worldly heart crowds out God's word. And again, this is intentional. Look at verse 18. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the, the word, and it becomes sadly unfruitful. So the soil crowded with thorn seeds and thorn roots is a metaphor for the worldly hearts of some of those who were listening to Jesus, but they were distracted, right? And look at the list there, the worries of the world. This is anxiety over unnerving events and issues in our world. If you listen to the news long enough, it's going to depress you. If you are a news junkie, you're probably a nervous wreck chugging some ulcer medicine. Look, God's in charge of our world. He can handle it. Don't freak out and bite your fingernails. God is still on the throne, and in his presence there is perfect peace. He knows all about this stuff. He knew about it thousands, hundreds of thousands of years ago. And where we focus is what it's all about. So I'm not saying don't keep up on the news. I do keep up on the news, but I don't fret and panic. I'm trusting the Lord, right? He knows about this stuff. The deceitfulness of riches, the allure of wealth, which offers a false sense of security. At some point, my transference goes from God to the almighty dollar. Not good, because those dollars can disappear in a hurry, right? And then the desires for other things. Luke 8 adds, pleasures of this life. Any other thing which distracts and crowds out our desire for God. These things enter in and choke out the word of God. So whatever those things are in your life, and you can make your own list, you know what those are, they need to go if they're crowding out the Word of God. Even if they're good things, they're not as good as the Word of God, right? And so hearers respond to God's Word according to what? Their heart condition. Three responses we don't want. The hard heart rejects God's Word. The shallow heart avoids commitment to God's Word. The worldly heart crowds out God's Word. So what's the best response? Here it is. And that is, are you ready? You ready for it? Is it up there yet? It's coming. There it is. The receptive heart obeys God's word. How do I know if I have a receptive heart? Well, you can watch and you'll see me obeying God's word all along the way, right? And this is the heart that Jesus is advocating. Verse 20, check it out. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil... And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Wow. So the good soil is a metaphor for the receptive hearts of some in the crowd. And they're eager to reflect upon and eager to heed and obey and plug into their lives the word of God. Because they love the Lord. And there's benefits, all kinds of overflow of benefits. But primarily, they're doing it because they love the one who's speaking the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, so they are also demonstrating the fruit of obedience. And that's what the Lord wants for us. But the blockage is those other three hearts, they get in the way. And so the question really is, which kind of hearer are you? 
which kind of hearer am I? Why do some hearers respond positively to God's word while others do not? Well, Jesus told us, and that is, hearers respond to God's word according to their heart condition. There is a a book written by Jay Adams, and I don't know if it's in print anymore. If you can find it in a used bookstore or somewhere, I would get it. Here's the title. The Consumer's Guide to Preaching, How to Get the Most Out of a Sermon. It's a very helpful book. It's a whole book on the listener's responsibility before God. Now, you had an appointment to meet with Jesus this morning, and that's why you're here, and I commend you for that. And he has some expectations upon all of us. I'm a listener as well. Here's what he says in his book. I'm just going to give you a few snippets here. Throughout the entire Bible, God calls on people to listen. Hearing is a dominant theme of both the Old and New Testaments far more dominant than the duty of preachers to proclaim God's word. In other words, there are plenty of verses for guys like me that say, preach the word, and the message is, do it faithfully, right? And I've got shelves and shelves of books on how to preach well. I haven't mastered it. It's going to take me a lifetime, and I'm not going to arrive this side of heaven. I teach young men how to preach the word of God. So there are plenty of books to address my responsibility. But I'm reading from a book that addresses all of our responsibility as listeners. And his point is the Bible talks more about listening than it does about preaching. So we need to perk up, right? And hear what it has to say. One of the standard objections to preaching is that, quote, preachers put me to sleep. Now, if you're already asleep, you can tune me out at this point. But the rest of you who are awake, I hope you're having a good dream anyway. Tell us about it when it's over. Or I hope it's not a nightmare because I'm preaching. I don't know. Uh, Usually the opposite is true. Listeners put themselves to sleep, he says. Those who get adequate sleep the night before rarely go to sleep on Sunday morning. Now, this is going to be an issue next Sunday because of the time change, so get ready. I have caught myself dozing off during a Sunday morning message, even when it was helpful and stimulating, and I wanted to listen. I can attribute my sleepiness to nothing else but inadequate sleep the night before. Now, that sounds like a mundane point, but it's true, right? So imagine whoever your favorite preacher is, Preacher X, and you really love listening to this person because he really keeps your attention, whatever. So imagine Preacher X is here as the guest speaker, and he's been preaching for a lot of years, and after the service, it's just an overwhelming message, and he says to you, wow, that was probably the most powerful sermon I ever preached in my 50 years of ministry. And you say, well, with all due respect, I got nothing out of it. And then we find the background. The rest of the story is you were up to 3.30 a.m. watching Andy Griffith reruns all night. (laughs) And I love Andy. Don't get me wrong. Him and Opie are great. But nevertheless, you're just out of it. I use that silly illustration to make the point that the preacher did his job. It's the best sermon in his life, right? But still, you got nothing out of it. That means there must be some responsibility on your side of the fence as well. Does that make sense? That's all of us, because at the end of the day, it's God. Inasmuch as the preacher, hear me now, is accurately re-articulating the word of God, if that's going on, then God is speaking. And if you're sleeping in the presence of Jesus, may I say it kindly, you're asking him to be quiet. He's here, you know. He was here before whoever flipped the lights on this morning. He was here, and he said, welcome. He says, welcome to us. We need to say welcome to him. 
Welcome, Lord Jesus. Speak to our hearts. We want to hear. We want to be transformed. We want to know you. He says, whenever the pastor announces a series ahead of time or is preaching through a book of the Bible, you may find it advantageous to do some preliminary study of the passage from which he will preach. Now, again, next Sunday I'll be doing Matthew 6, uh, 25 through 34. I invite you to read that this week. Think of some questions you might have. This way you'll be warmed up to the subject and ready to go as I preach. And if you have questions afterward, I'd be happy to stick around and do my best to answer. He says, and you will soon learn the joy, hear it now, of participating rather than merely playing the part of a spectator. When people complain, I didn't get much out of the sermon, I'm tempted to ask, well, how much did you bring to it? You usually get about as much as you anticipate and prepare for. That's true in life in general, right? Isn't that the way it is? Prayer for the preacher, the congregation, and yourself is important. During the Welsh revival of 1859, a preacher was visiting a friend. I think, Pastor Johnson, the ministers are all preaching a great deal better than they used to. Johnson replied, perhaps the people are hearing a good deal better than they used to. That may be, said the Welsh preacher, but I think they ought to preach a good deal better. Why so? asked Johnston. Because the people are all praying now for the ministers. Pray for the poor preacher, would you? We need it. We want to be accurate. We want to represent the Lord well, but we're made of flesh. I'm subject to error. I'm only a man. Don't take my word for anything. That's why you got your Bible open. Check it out. See if it's so. If you disagree, I'm going to love you anyway. We can talk. Maybe you'll straighten me out. Pray for the preacher. Pray for yourself as a listener. Listeners with bad attitudes are poor listeners. Your task then is to prepare yourself to receive a message from God through his accredited messenger. You must approach preaching with a positive bias toward God and the word his messenger brings. What is your attitude? Do you, like some, listen in order to detect flaws in the message, or do you listen to discover the truth. Now imagine a classic skeptic, if they were even to come in the doors here, right? They're like, yeah, yeah, I don't believe this stuff. Before the first sentence is uttered, they already are, have a negative attitude, right? We love the Lord Jesus. We should be just the opposite. We should be eager, getting here early, because we can't wait to fellowship with Jesus in the word, through music, etc. He says, you will notice I'm asking you now... Hang on to your pews here, okay? Because I'm going to utter a four-letter word in church. It begins with a W. Do you know what it is? I'm asking you to work. Uh-oh. Has it come down to that? You will notice I'm asking you to work. That is a new concept to many Christians. They think that sermons provide a time to lean back and listen passively, letting the preacher do all the work. But good listening is not passive. Now listen carefully. It requires effort. Effective listening calls for aggressive mental activity. I want you to write down Proverbs 18.15 and chew on that a little bit this week. Proverbs 18.15 reads like this. A discerning mind gets knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks information. Sounds active to me. I don't know if I can do that with my feet up and a glass of lemonade necessarily. Again, Hear it, a discerning mind gets knowledge 
and the ear of the wise seeks information. So why do some hearers respond positively to God's word? Why others do not? I hope we see it in the text. It's right there. Hearers respond to God's word according to what? It's this. It's me, O Lord. It's my heart condition. And if you are sensing that your heart is not where it should be, if you're having heart trouble, please make an appointment with the great physician. He's delighted to come. He does make house calls, and he will help you with that. There is hope. I don't want to discourage you. I want to encourage you. We know there's a payoff when hard work is involved in most areas of life. Well, same thing with the Word of God. If you just put in the time, put in the old-fashioned seat time, as I tell my students, there's a payoff. So if you're bored with God, all I can say is he's a pretty exciting being. Get to know him and you'll get excited. Shall we pray? Lord, you love us too much to let us go, to allow us to stagnate, to allow us to resist what's best for us because you love us and that's why you give us your word. And so thank you, Lord, even though this was a strong message today from your word, we need to hear it. I need to hear it. And I pray now you would give us the eagerness, the enthusiasm to follow through and to do whatever that means for each of us so that we are hearing from you and allowing you to transform us deep within the recesses of our hearts and our minds. We need you to change us. We want to bear fruit for you, Lord Jesus. You alone are worthy of that. And so I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters in the days ahead that we would experience great joy and growth in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all my friends said, amen. Praise the Lord.